Psalm 47. To the choir master, a psalm of the sons of Korah. Clap your hands, all people. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. For the Lord, the Most High, is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. He subdued peoples under us and nations under our feet. He chose our heritage for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loves, Selah. God has gone up with a shout. The Lord, with the sound of a trumpet, sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our king. Sing praises. For God is the king of all the earth. Sing praises with a psalm. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. The princes of the people gather as the people of the God of Abraham. For the shields of the earth belong to God. He is highly exalted. Let's pray. We thank you, Father, for your goodness. And you bring us together. You call us to worship you. To declare your victory over Satan, sin, and death. And to bring your people together to make a... uh, a joyous song up to you and to, and to hear your word, to hear you and all you have for us so that we would be a blessing to all the nations, that people would see your glory and be drawn to you as we worship you in spirit and in truth. Let us now turn to Romans 7. Verse 21, for the first reading of the Word of God, that is on page 944 in your pew Bible. This is Paul's letter to the Romans, and he speaks about the great work of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. Verse 21. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death, But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body of 
is dead because of sin. The spirit of is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So is the reading of the holy, inspired, perfect word of the Lord. So a little bit of a change up today. Going to be preaching in Psalm 51. So we will read Psalm 51. I'll start with the inscription, which is inspired. And then also, uh, we're going to reference Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 33. But understanding that the Bible is the authoritative, inspired word of the Lord. And the Heidelberg Catechism is a faithful distillation representation of God's word, but it is in subordination to the word of God. So, page 474, Psalm 51, to the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone to Bathsheba. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and sin, and sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth and the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise, for you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good design and your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Thus is the reading of God's holy inspired word. And I will read the first four Questions and Answers of Lord's Day 33, page 39. I'll just, we've already read the Belgic Confession together, so I will just do all of the, the reading here. Uh, page 39, Lord's Day 33. Question 88. In how many things does true repentance or conversion consist? In two things, the dying of the old man and the making alive of the new. Question 89. What is the dying of the old man? Heartfelt sorrow for sin causing us to hate and turn from it always more and more. 
Number 90, what is the making alive of the new man? Heartfelt joy in God through Christ, causing us to take delight in living according to the will of God in all good works. And finally, 91, what are good works? Those only which proceed from true faith and are done according to the law of God unto his glory and not such as rest on our own opinion or the commandments of men. So we see it, beloved saints of God, that that repentance is at the heart of, of salvation. It is a part of our entrance into God's kingdom and is a constant aspect of our life before God every day until we see Christ face to face in glory. The Heidelberg Catechism explains how our repentance causes us to hate our sin, love Christ, and work thankfully unto him. And Psalm 51 is one of our most beloved psalms which displays what true repentance looks like in our lives. We will see that David has sinned greatly with Bathsheba. And after being confronted by the prophet Nathan, he confesses his great sin to God. And then David pleads for forgiveness from God. He promises to rejoice in God and work faithfully to teach others the joy of his salvation, to turn from their sin and seek after God. We will see how finally true repentance expresses itself through our hatred of sin and our turning to Christ joyfully and thankfully. So we see our first point. It shows us that God's people hate their sin and confess it to God, repenting to Him and and, and seeking His great pardon. The inscription of this psalm, which once again that is inspired, uh, it gives us the specific time and place and context What's going on here in Psalm 51? That's not always the case in the Psalms. It's the Psalm of David, and he wrote this after Nathan had confronted him about his adulterous relationship with Bathsheba. And there's just a brief background of, of this adultery. This occurs in 2 Samuel 11. We're told that it's springtime when the kings go off to war. And yet, ominously, we're told that David stayed home, away from his duty with his troops. And ironically, the great pagan Hittite warrior Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, was off fighting for David. And so with most of the men of the town gone to war in Jerusalem... David, out of boredom, maybe he had it planned, we don't know. He spies out Uriah's wife Bathsheba and he commits adultery with her. And there's more to the story, but this gives us the backdrop we need. And so this psalm starts out with the understanding that Nathan has rebuked David for his sin. And back in 2 Samuel 11, he's let David know that God is going to punish him for that sin. Yet, graciously, 
not put David to death, which is what should happen for his adultery. And David's response to this confrontation from his prophet is immediate. I have sinned against the Lord, he says to Nathan. And then he pours out his soul to the Lord. And we see David express heartfelt sorrow for his sin. As we read in question 89. In Psalm 51, verse 1, he begs God to shed his grace upon him. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. God has already showered David with grace through. Not calling for him to be put to death. And so David may already be feeling the the crushing weight of God's grace. God's grace has a way of puncturing our soul like a breach in a dam causing our souls to pour out our sinful confessions. And when this levee breaks, different people react in different ways and, and you can hear David almost in this psalm weeping great tears of lament. David knows God's grace is real. He's already felt it. And he asks God further to, to blot out, to wash, to cleanse his transgressions, his iniquity, his sins. Just as he called upon God's grace three times in verse 1, he calls upon God to specifically cleanse him of his sin in verse 2. Wash me thoroughly. Cleanse me from my sin. And he knows ultimately, as we read in verse 4, that that it is God and Him alone who He has sinned against because God is the ultimate judge. Against you, you only have I sinned and done it one is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. We all sin against one another. Ultimately, our sin is a great affront to our God in heaven who will judge us. And David stands before his judge and and seemingly falls to his knees acknowledging my my transgressions and my sin is always before me. David knows he needs a thorough cleansing, not just a once-over, not just a light dusting. As Lord's Day 33 speaks of, he needs to put to death the old man, the flesh. He needs to hate his sin. And David does. He hates his iniquity, his transgressions, and his sins. And he cast himself before the throne of God, the great judge, seeking not just forgiveness, but a clean slate, a pardon for and from his sin. David's sorrow goes deep. He knows he's done 
great evil with Bathsheba. And he even knows that this evil is, is nothing new. Verse 5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. He was conceived in iniquity. Sometimes in Scripture we find deep doctrine in the most unexpected places. And David here is expressing the great truth that, that he is conceived and born in sin as all of us. We've all been born in sin. And there's, there's no good reason to suspect that this isn't what David had in mind because some folks might tell you that, uh, that David's conception was sinful in some way. That's wrong. It needs to be tossed out on his face. We have no re- right to impugn either of David's parents concerning David's conception when we see David professing a profound biblical doctrine which is obvious for this occasion and perfectly suited. David knows that his sin is a deep issue from the very beginnings of his life. And his sin is evil that is deeply rooted. In fact, it's systemic, as some people like to use that word today for other things. David sinned because sin systemically controlled him from birth. David wasn't a sinner because he sinned. He sinned because he was a sinner. That's what sinners do. They sin. And when he has depended upon himself, he's helpless before his flesh, before his old man. This evil Systemic sin in David easily controlled him. Remember what God said to Cain. Chapter 4 of Genesis about sin. Sin lies at the door. Its desire is for you. But you should rule over it. And even though David was known as a God, after a man after God's own heart, as hard as that can be to see sometimes, he... He continues to repeat his need of God's cleansing work in his soul. Dealing with his sin. And he asked God to make me hear joy and gladness. That the bones you have broken may rejoice. He knew that he was in a fierce, titanic, spiritual battle. That is why he appealed to God, to create in me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. David understood that his seeking repentance was futile apart from the cleansing work of God's Holy Spirit. And we have examples. We see the futility of false repentance in in Esau in the Old Testament and Judas in the New. In Hebrews 12.17 we see that it says that Esau was even tearful, seeking repentance. But it was not a repentance of the Holy Spirit. 
He just wanted his craven, fleshly desires fulfilled. He was not concerned with God's justice, holiness, and love. Likewise was Judas, whose remorse was so deep that he hung himself. He knew who Jesus was. He knew his betrayal was evil. And instead of seeking Christ's cleansing, he sought his own lynching. And Judas is eternally cursed, having hung himself. The sign of the curse, according to Deuteronomy 21, from a tree. True repentance may involve tears and deep remorse. Yet there may not be tears. People do things differently. But we do know that true repentance involves turning from our sin and unto God. And this David understood. And yet he knew that if he was to turn from his sin unto God, he needed more than self-will. He needed the Holy Spirit to be continually present with him. God's people. And certainly David knows that he can't defeat the false trinity of evil on on his own. Satan, the world, the flesh. We are powerless and we need the Holy Spirit of God. And we heard Paul himself echo this when we read Romans 8, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. Repentance, dying of our old man, our flesh, is a work that the Spirit does in us as we are convicted of our sin and depravity. It's been well said that a mark of a Christian is is not that he doesn't sin, but that when he sins, he hates his sin and he repents of it. Repentance is a continual event in the life of a Christian. David sinned because he was living according to his flesh, according to the old man. Yet he sought the things of the Spirit. His mind was set on the Spirit because that is where he knows life and peace reside. Because the Spirit's working in him. He knows that when he sins, he's at enmity with God and, and God will discipline him. David pleads with God that he, he wouldn't take his Holy Spirit from him. Because he knows that his life is dependent upon God's Holy Spirit. Notice that David knew that the Holy Spirit was, was with him. So David loves God, yet he, like all of us, he still sins. And David still faces consequences for his sins. But one of those consequences is not that God has abandoned him. I think we can all praise the Lord Jesus Christ that he doesn't abandon his wayward sheep. We see now that God's people will rejoice in God's grace. And their thankful hearts will work righteousness because of God's grace. The next point we'll see how our repentance expresses itself through our hatred of sin and our our turning to God joyfully and 
And thankfully, David speaks of rejoicing in God's salvation post the pardon of his sin. He will sing of God. He will teach sinners to turn from their sin unto God. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways. And sinners shall be converted to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. The God of my salvation and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. David acknowledges his dependence upon the Holy Spirit for this new life as well. If he is going to live for God and sing of his righteousness, then he must be dependent on and to the Holy Spirit. And his joy-filled salvation will be his delight. The God who forgives even, even David's bloody murder of Uriah will cause David to sing of his righteousness. And this is offensive to a lot of people. When they say, you could just go to God for forgiveness for such wickedness? That is the heart of the Gospel. Even if you've committed such wicked, evil sins. Yes, you may pay consequences for that. But if your heart has been transformed by the Holy Spirit and you repent and you will be saved. And David is going to sing of God's righteousness and, and he will do this for the rest of his life. He had more psalms to write after this. It's only Psalm 51. There's 150 of them. David was just beginning. And we see that the, the Heidelberg Question 90 calls this the, the making alive of the new man, which is heartfelt joy in God through Christ, causing us to take delight in living according to the will of God and all good works. This answer in the Catechism reflects exactly what, what David is expressing. He will rejoice and sing of his salvation. He will labor diligently empowered by the Holy Spirit to bear fruit for God. We see here how the Catechism, though under Scripture, subordinate to it in authority, has done an amazing job capturing what true repentance and conversion looks like. And we'll also know, as as Q&A 91 makes clear, that these Spirit-filled works are done in faith. Only by faith can we please the Lord. These are done in faith according to the law, not according to the opinion of men. As David says, he will teach transgressors your ways. My tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. Our good works are not out of our own imagination, but according to God's law. And we have a recent vivid example of a prominent megachurch pastor who recently created controversy by saying he would advise a grandmother to attend her wayward grandchild's pagan ceremony and to bring a gift as well. He said this would demonstrate love. 
For the grandchild knows that the grandmother does not approve, so this show of love may win them over to Christ. Yet this is pharisaical. This is going by man's traditions over God's Word. This is an imagination of the pastor's mind. There's nowhere in Scripture where we are to promote pagan ceremonies of any kind at any time in any way according to the first commandment and the, and the plain teaching of the rest of Scripture. So brothers and sisters, we are to show our faith by our works and those works are according to the Word of God, the Ten Commandments. As, and as J- James admonishes us, these works glorify God and show, us, show His Word. We, we show our faith by our works. David will not slumber in God's grace either. Just happy to be forgiven from his wickedness. And content to live his life as if, you know, nothing of great importance had happened. No, no great miracle had transpired. In fact, David even gives God a direction at this point. Oh Lord, open my lips and my mouth shall show forth your praise. For you do not desire sacrifice or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. He tells God to open his lips. Why? Well, he knows his next breath is dependent upon God. And because he is going to use those lips to praise God. And these are not just empty words from David. He is going to continue on as the psalmist of Israel, the songwriter of God. His praise is his work. And we continue in his work today through reading this psalm, singing this psalm, and worshiping God. David's promise. These were the praises of David's lips even before they were the words on a scroll in the temple of God. And it was said of Spurgeon, the great preacher, that if you pricked his finger, Scripture would bleed out. How much more could it be said that if you pricked David's finger, songs of God's glory would gush out David has demonstrated to God that his spirit has been broken, his heart torn. He has turned from his sin to the Lord because the Holy Spirit has not forsaken him, has not left his face, but has wrought genuine, spirit-filled repentance in David, causing him to sing of God's praises. Paul speaks of this in Hebrews when he says, Therefore, by him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name. This is the kind of sacrifice our God desires from His people, truly. So our last point demonstrates that God's people will be blessed by God. And they will flourish God's kingdom and be pleasing to Him through their love for Him. Do good in your good pleasure to Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem. 
Then you shall be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offering and whole burnt offering. Then they shall offer bowls on your altar. David asked for God to bless his people. He does not want his sin to pollute the people and the nation he is over. So he asked for God's protection from their enemies outside the walls of Jerusalem as well. Because let's remember, friends, David is a good, godly king. He loves his people. The people God has entrusted to him. And David knows that the people are dependent upon him, but are ultimately dependent upon God. And when God's people are living in joyful covenant with him, God will be pleased with them, and he will accept their sacrifices, which are done rightly then, out of a love for God and hatred for their sin. And, and you know, the sacrificial system of the Old Testament wasn't, wasn't even done yet. It, well, barely even really started in Israel. But David speaks well to how we really please God. Through our broken hearts and spirits, we please God in heartfelt confession to Him of our sin and then our, our seeking His loving embrace and direction for our lives. We see as well how this section of Scripture, speaking of spiritual contrition and physical animal sacrifice, where does it find its ultimate fulfillment? In Christ. Christ was the last legitimate sacrifice ever made in Israel. He took our sin upon Himself, though He was the holy, blameless Lamb of God. And He bore the curse of the tree, crucifixion, so that we could be saved. Paul so rightly puts it, He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. The Father was pleased with this final sacrifice of righteousness, with this final sacrifice upon His altar. And we now have peace with God through Christ who fulfilled the law which we are powerless to do of ourselves. So while God promised to bless the people under David, and accept their sacrifices. This has a far-reaching and much deeper fulfillment in Christ for us, to God's glory forever. So our points of application. Does this look like you? Not David's exact situation, but in general, does this look like you? Have you, have you sinned? Well, yeah. We've all sinned. First John tells us if we deny this that, that we're a liar. So the issue isn't if we have or haven't sinned. We have sinned and, and we have a remedy. Even for those who think their sin is different, worse, unforgivable, horrific. Remember this, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Well, who can do this? Who can cleanse us with, with hyssop and make us whiter than snow? Paul continues, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
Yes, turn from your sin unto Christ. Just pray that the Holy Spirit would be with you. This is the putting away of the old man. The mortifying of the flesh. As many of our old reformed forebears would put it. And then point two of our application is give thanks to the Lord your God and King. Ask the Holy Spirit to empower you and to put on the new man, leaving no place for the flesh, no provision for the flesh. Adorn your faith, as Paul says, with your good works, blessing others. Bless others as as God privileges you. And yes, we are humbled and privileged to have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. As God privileges you, delight in His Word which is how we know His will and how we are to walk in the good works that He's already ordained for us. He has those ordained for us. It takes all the guesswork out of it. It takes all the pressure off. We don't need to be burdened with what we need to do. God's Word gives us wisdom and direction. And then our final application, rinse and repeat. This is great. God has cleansed you. The Holy Spirit is with you. Christ and His Word will guide you. Rejoice! And this is no excuse, but you're going to sin again. And you're going to fall. And you will turn again from your sin and once more to Christ and do this every day. Maybe for some of us even more than once a day or twice even. The truth is The closer we go to Christ, the more we see our sin. That's all right. Bright lights always reveal dirty floors. We don't see the sin in the crevices of our soul, and that it is fine. The Holy Spirit will reveal those hidden sins in His time. We just must be faithful to be people who repent, who turn from our sin and unto Christ. So in conclusion, our heartfelt hatred of sin and love for God expresses itself through our good works as the Spirit blesses us with His every blessing. And just as David sinned greatly, as we all do, he he was not stubborn in his sin. He called upon the Holy Spirit to work in him and to bless him. How much more as people who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit with all the books of Scripture at our disposal, including the beloved Psalms. How much more are we to surrender to and be dependent upon the Holy Spirit in all we do every day? Let us be known not as sinless people, but those with repentant faith who are quick to forgive others even because of the great forgiveness that we've been given. And as people who are, let's be known as people who are joyful in Christ. Amen. Thank you, Father. Bless us as we seek your face. That we would have no other gods before you, only you. Grow us in our faith according to your word, through the power of your spirit. In your Son's name. Amen.